This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. This is from the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, but we're going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Well, a question for you as we begin our message this morning. Have you ever been in the presence of a king or queen? Like a literal king or queen, not just, um, you know, your daughter if she's your princess, but like a real king or queen, not just going to a Cavs game when LeBron was playing there, but a literal king or queen. I've never been in the presence of a king or queen. And I know that because when you're in the presence of a king or queen, you know you're in the presence of a king or queen. Uh, recently, we took a flight. We were on Frontier. And when you're sitting next to someone on Frontier, or even American Airlines, for that matter, if you're wanting to judge Frontier a little bit, and you're talking to someone and you have that, that semi-awkward conversation and, and you know, what do you, what's your occupation and... And when they ask me that, you know, I'm a, I, I need to say, you know, I'm a minister or clergy or the kind of term that they use. And there's always that silence as I just allow them to uh, form judgments about me. And then I might ask them, you know, what, what, what do you do? What, what's your occupation? And if they were to say, actually, I'm a king or I'm a queen, that would be interesting. No one's ever said that. And no one ever will because they're not going to ride on the, in the economy class on a just normal airline with normal people. They have their own planes, their own entourage. You know when you're in the presence of a king or queen. And you feel the presence of a king or queen. When you're around them, I would imagine if they ask you to do something, it's not just like someone else giving you a request, but this is a king or queen giving you a request. Uh, recently, a few months ago, uh, we were in, a group of us were in London, and, and we walked miles to just go and see Buckingham Palace. And outside of Buckingham Palace, it was my first time there, first time to see this, first time in Europe. You know, I was feeling a little like, you know, I don't want to just be a normal person sitting here. And so I think I even told uh, one of the members of our group that's there, I was like, you know, I wonder if the, king, if the queen is in there just going to the bathroom. And looking at all of us, like those suckers, you know, look at them all out there just standing there looking at my palace. And, but, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, it's just a queen. She's just a human being just like me. She needs to go to the bathroom and, you know. And, uh, but if, if while standing there, if they had said, if someone had come out and said, excuse me, is Jay O'Brien here? I would have gotten really excited. Is, is Jay here? Uh, the queen... The queen would like Jay's presence. You know, I would look at, like, yeah, I'm better than all of you, and I would walk in. And if the queen just invited me in and took a tissue and blew her nose and asked me to take it from her and throw it away, I would consider that a great honor. <laughs> I'm sure I would post it on social media, even though I don't really engage much on social media. All of a sudden, I would to share this. I'm sure I would share with all of you. And you would, you would be interested. You would be very interested. If I said, I went, the queen blew her nose, and she asked me to throw away the tissue, you would, you would 
care. What was it like? Did, what was it like? You know when you're in a king or queen's presence. We've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew is written by someone who knew Jesus, was with Jesus. And Matthew's not just recording random events of Jesus' life for us to just... Oh, interesting. No, Matthew's writing with a purpose. He wants us to know the kind of presence that King Jesus brings. He's recording these events in Jesus' life to illustrate the kind of king that he is. And also, Matthew, one of the things that he does is he brings together the teachings of Jesus to illustrate the kind of kingdom that Jesus is wanting to bring. Last week, we closed out the section of Matthew about the life of Jesus with Jesus sending his disciples. And he says, go to the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in a way, there might be different views on baptism, but we get the idea of baptism. All right, we, we, we get that concept. Whether it's kids, adults, there's different views. But baptism, we, can got, we, get, we got it. But then he says, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. Matthew has in mind some teachings of Jesus when he says that. And so we're going to take the next year plus to look at those teachings. There are five different sections in the gospel where Jesus speaks and teaches specifically about the kingdom, about what life is like when he becomes king, when his presence invades our life and how we extend that to the world. And we're beginning that uh, this morning. And we're actually going to be in the Sermon on the Mount through the rest of the year. So in the, when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew before, we had large chunks. Now we're going to get a little more narrow and look specifically at some of the teachings about the kingdom of God that Jesus brings to us. And here's where we want to go this morning as we begin what's commonly called the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This morning as we consider the presence of the king the teaching of the king. I want to look at three qualities, three characteristics of his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus bookends it. He begins the Beatitudes talking about the kingdom of heaven. He ends it talking about the kingdom of heaven. What are three characteristics of the kingdom of heaven in our verse this morning? Uh, first, we look at the idea of blessed. Blessed. The first characteristic, first quality of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, begins his teachings with these nine statements of blessing. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and so forth. And Jesus ends his teaching in the Gospel of Matthew with woes. It begins with blessing. It ends with woes. But there's a problem. Here, a major problem, actually. A problem that if we don't rightly understand the meaning of blessing can throw off our whole perspective of what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And it has to do with the term, the Greek term makarios, which we translate blessed. The term literally means, makarios, it literally means to be happy, 
blissful, fortunate, or flourishing. The idea here is is thriving in life. And here we see the first quality of the kingdom of heaven. The first quality of God's kingdom is the kingdom of heaven is the realm of ultimate human flourishing. We're going to talk about this as we continue to move through these beatitudes, these statements of flourishing. And, And the reason that blessed is a bad translation is because when you think of the concept of blessed, we often... We often think of a, div- a divine, divine favor as if, if we become poor in spirit, if we mourn, if, if we later when we get into the Sermon on the Mount don't struggle with lust, if we don't struggle with anger, if, if we obey these things, then God's favor will be on our life. And we actually read the Bible this way. When we think of the laws, we think of God's law and God's commands as in the same way that we think of laws today. If I speed or get caught speeding or break my neighbor's window, you know, that I broke a law, and so there's a lack of favor from society on me. But really, the idea of law in the ancient world, and in Jesus' teaching here, the, con- the idea here is really wisdom. It's wisdom. It's how to live. It's how God created the world. And when we live in light and in the flow and step of His world, it's not just there's a lack of human favor when we're outside of it, but there's actually, actually we're blessed. We flourish. We thrive. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is addressing the fundamental human question, the, the fundamental philosophical and religious question, that is, Where is happiness and flourishing ultimately found? The kingdom of heaven is the realm in which human flourishing is advanced. The Beatitudes are Jesus' answer to the ultimate questions of how we should live and relate and the kind of society that we want to build. All of us are looking to someone or something or some group for a take on how to live, how to work, how to relate. And in fact, in the ancient world, both in the Greek world and Jewish world, a king wasn't just someone of authority and rule, but a king epitomized wisdom. Jesus here is positioning himself as the king, as the wise one, as the model for what it means to be human. Jesus answers the fundamental question of life, how we can find genuine, lasting, ultimate happiness, how we can flourish. And now he's going to describe one of the ways in which that happens, how to, how to experience flourishing. And he, and he says this in our verse. He says, flourishing, if we could translate it that way, flourishing is the poor in spirit. So one of the first things that we learn about flourishing in the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of heaven is the realm of generosity and justice. The kingdom of heaven is the realm of generosity and justice. Matthew, in a verse, he qualifies the statement poor in, of poor with in spirit. He says the poor in spirit. But we want to be good students of 
of God's Word, and we want to understand what he even means when he uses the term poor, and we want to read this in light of the full teaching of Jesus, because again, we're, wanting to, we're taking serious Jesus' commands. If he's our king, how do we live? We must note that in Luke, Luke chapter 6, there's what's uh, called, you have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and Luke, uh, kind of jokingly, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And Luke says this, Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus looks at his disciples and he said to them, Blessed are you who are poor. He doesn't qualify it like Matthew does. Blessed are you who are poor. Flourishing are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Flourishing are you who hunger now. For you will be satisfied. And then he follows this up with a woe. To drill the point home in verse 24, he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will grow, go hungry. What do we do here? There's a difference. Luke is emphasizing by his lack of qualification of poor, He's emphasizing the economic and social poverty. And he does this throughout his gospel. Throughout the gospel of Luke, he again and again talks about poverty and the poor. Matthew, he qualifies it. He says the poor in spirit. So which one's right? Which one, Luke or Matthew? Of course, both. To really understand the nature of poverty that Luke is talking about, you must understand the spiritual poverty, and we'll get there. And to understand spiritual poverty, you need to understand economic and social poverty. You need to understand both. And so let's take a step back and look at what is the biblical teaching of poverty? How do we understand poverty? What does the Bible say about it? Over 200 times in the Bible, it talks about the poor. It talks about poverty. And there's a few things that we can learn in surveying it. What is poverty, according to the Bible? We see that it is an economic and a social condition. Poverty is an economic condition. To be poor is to have little or no resources that the world values. So you could be poor financially with money. You could be poor in talent. It's to have a lack of resources that the world values. And economic poverty leads often to social poverty, the social condition of poverty. And, that, and the idea here is that to be poor is to be defenseless. The Proverbs puts it this way. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Literally, to be poor socially is to be a city without walls. To lack defenses. And why is this the case? I mean, uh, why are people poor? It's Some today might look at people in poverty and think, you know, if they would just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, if they would get their life together and get an education and work hard, you know, they could move out of this. And we think that poverty is simply a lack of resources, and we miss the ways that society and systems prevent the poor from advancing. The Bible does talk about poor management of resources and that someone who is lazy, someone who makes bad decisions, could move from a place of having plenty, having resources, to not. That 
can happen. But 80 to 90% of the times that the Bible addresses poverty, it's not from having resources to none. It's from having no resources and being defenseless in that position. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Every country struggles with this. Every society, in each society, the poor can be defenseless. And it's very nuanced. Uh, Some examples of of what this can lead to, the, the lack of defenses that the poor may experience. Robert Linthicum, in his book, City of God and City of Satan, he was a He was an urban minister and pastor, and he shares this story of when he was a a student leader in his young 20s, and he began working in an inner city, and he gives an example of meeting a 14-year-old girl. Her name was Eva, in this poor uh, public housing project of an inner city. uh, Robert meets Eva, and she began coming to um, his Bible study, and she came to faith, and she started to come alive and to be excited. But there was a problem. And one day she shared with him, she said that she's deeply troubled. He records, Bob. She says, Bob, I'm under terrible pressure and I don't know what to do. There's a very large gang in this project and they recruit girls to be prostitutes for wealthy white men in the suburbs. They're trying to force me to become a prostitute. And Linthicum at the time, he said he didn't quite understand. He didn't know how to relate And so he just, he was young, couldn't comprehend. So he just said, just resist, resist evil and it will flee from you. He said, don't give in to their demands. Stick with your Bible study group. And then he went on a three month vacation. He was away for three months. And when he returned, she wasn't there. Three months later, he returned. And the other others told him that two weeks after he had left, she, she was gone. And so he went and he found her. He found Eva at her apartment. And as soon as she saw him, she wouldn't make eye contact. But when she looked at him, she burst into tears. She said, they got to me, Bob. And Bob said, how could you give in like that? Why didn't you resist? She replied, they told me they would beat my father. And they beat him really bad. And they said they'd beat my mother, and they did. Then they said, or my brother, and they did. Then they said they'd gang rape my mother. I had no choice. And Lithicum responded, but Eva, why, why didn't you get protection? Why didn't you talk to the police? And Eva responded, who do you think they are? Now, we share this story. We can all look at this and say, that is wrong. But the reason we need to share this story and meditate on it is, you know, many of you here, the vast majority of you here, are people of means. You have things that the world may see as valuable. And people won't take that from you. You might have money, you might have beauty like Eva, and you are in a position of protection. But the poor, the poor, the little that they have is often taken. Eva was in a vulnerable position because of her poor. People could come and take what she had. And so what does God do? How does God 
view and relate with the poor. Again, 200 instances in the Bible. We see a lot. How does God view the poor? The world looks at the poor as lesser, as not having resources that we deem valuable, and as someone to exploit. How does God, how does Jesus look at the poor first? (laughs) Jesus looks at the poor as someone of incredible value. You know how we know? Jesus, our king, he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He was born where animals sleep. He, it says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus experienced homelessness. He's from Nazareth, a place that no one cares about. Not only is it just a normal spot, it's the, it's the lowest of the low. Jesus, our king, was poor by the world's standards. And the Bible it makes this move all throughout it. The people that the world looked to as having means and value and resources and power, God looks at them and says, you know what? You're not as strong as you think. You're not as powerful as you think. In the economy of God, the rich and powerful are brought down. And the powerless are brought up. That's why Jesus can look at a woman on a well, a social and religious and moral outcast, and say, you you are loved. You are worthy of my presence. God elevates the poor and brings down the rich. God looks at the poor and says, you have value. But also, enough value that the poor are worthy of protection and justice. So in Deuteronomy 10, it says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves are foreigners in Egypt. Can't get any clearer. And... And he continues in Deuteronomy 15 to get a little more explicit about what this looks like for the people of God. And the verse will be on the screen in verse 4. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land, that the Lord your God is giving you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. In the Old Testament, how does God, how does the Bible teach about caring for the poor? In an agrarian society, you couldn't harvest the land to the end of the field. You had to leave the ends of the field for the poor to come and have food. Every third year, an additional tithe of your proceeds was collected to give to the poor. And then every seventh year would be a year of Sabbath, when the entire harvest of the field was to be left for the poor. God took care for the poor very, very seriously. Now, there's a few questions that many would rightly raise 
Uh, some will point to and say, you know, the Bible, when it's talking about caring for the poor here, it's talking about, it said the brothers, brothers and sisters, these people in, in the nation of Israel, we're, we're to care for our brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, I would say <laughs> uh, the foreigner and sojourner, the Bible's very clear on hospitality and the need to be hospitable to those outside of the faith, those outside of our culture. That's a very clear and powerful theme of Scripture. But even granted caring for brothers and sisters in the faith, when you get to know the poor, do you know how many are Christians? They are our brothers and sisters. And if we take seriously God's command to love and show mercy, then we must, we must extend mercy and justice. Another question people might raise, again, because this is hard. We, you know, one question someone might say is, well, okay, so do we just sell our, all our possessions and become poor? I mean, Jesus to a rich man said, sell all your possessions and follow me. Is that what we're to do? Again, sometimes just trying to find a way out. And really, when you, when you think biblically, when you have a lens of the gospel, it's not about becoming poor economically and socially. It's about how do we steward the resources and privileges that we have to care and protect and elevate those in need. Jesus says, flourishing are the poor. And in his kingdom, it should be a place where the, where the poor can flourish. Again, we're looking at three characteristics, three qualities of the kingdom. We see that the kingdom of God is a place of human flourishing. And that human flourishing extends to the poor. That the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a place of generosity and justice. Lastly, the kingdom of heaven is the realm of genuine spiritual dependence. Genuine need. We might ask, how can we, how can we become people that are generous and merciful and justice? Because really all I've given you is guilt. <laughs> and guilt will only go so far. We will want to know the law. Okay, what does it require of me? Seventh year, all right, if that's what God wants, I will do it. But what Jesus is doing with his kingdom is so much deeper, so much more powerful. He doesn't give you just law so you can do and feel better about yourself. He wants to reshape your whole lens, your whole motivation, your whole way of relating to yourself, your resources, and everybody else. You see, at the core of what Jesus is calling us to, he's calling us, he says, you must become poor spiritually. You must become poor. You, in the economy of God, must become a beggar. And this, friends, is what, this, what the Sermon on the Mount is doing. We want to divide the world between the strong and the weak, the right and the wrong, the righteous and the unrighteous. And Jesus, we say this all the time at Scarlet City, Jesus has a different divide. It's between those who think that they are spiritually strong and those who admit 
in humility their sin and weakness and thus come to God as a beggar needing his pardon. The Blue Jackets. That's sad. It's not over yet, but the Blue Jackets lost last night if you're a bandwagon fan like me and you've all of a sudden started following. And... You know, to make the Blue Jackets team, if you follow them on Twitter and you send them a message asking when the tryouts are, you probably won't get a response. There's not a public tryout for the Blue Jackets team. They're a professional hockey team. There's a limited number of spots, and to be a part of it, you're, you need to play hockey all your life. And you need to be amazing and one of the best in the world. And then you might get paid money to be a part of the Blue Jackets. You're like, Jay, what are you, what are you trying to say? You know, every group, every community, every team has some requirements to be a part. In the kingdom of God, the requirement is to admit your utter need for Jesus' work on the cross. We come to God as spiritual beggars, we, we, we cling to the cross. Nothing in our hands we bring. Utter need for God's work. What, are, what is the work that you're resting in for God's approval? Maybe for you it's justice work that that's why God will let you in. Maybe for you, it's your Bible memorization plan. Maybe for you, it's attending church or giving or working hard or your reputation. And we think we will bring these to God. And he'll look and say, wow, Jay, oh, you are a minister. You, don't need, you know, on the plane, you don't need to share that with someone, but with me, I'm God and I'll... In, Jay, in. No, all of us are spiritual beggars before God. And the good news of this, the amazing news of this, is God's kingdom, when the gospel is central, and we are all spiritual beggars, all spiritually poor and broken, now a community becomes a safe place. A place where we can be honest and vulnerable and together wrestle with what it looks like to love and follow God in this world. Have you ever found yourself in conversations where you just don't belong? And, and, and you want to pretend like you belong? Uh, recently I was in this conversation. I, I don't know anything about cars, okay? And typically if there's a guys or, or girls, but often it's guys, you know, doing the car thing, I'm like, I don't know. You know, I'll just walk away or just sit there. But there were these two guys, and they were talking about cars, and I just, I don't know what was in me. I just wanted to be a part. And they were talking about McLarens. Is that like a, I thought it might have been like a jacket or something, but it's a car. And then they were talking about a spider. Not like what you have in the home, but like there's a car called a spider. In my mind, I don't know why, but I thought of that car, and I don't even know what it's called, but there's like no doors at all. It's almost like a go-kart, but it's a vehicle. Some of you are so lost, but I was lost, but I thought that's what a spider was. So I chime in 
I'm like, oh yeah, there's some spiders. I've seen those around my neighborhood in Columbus. You know, it doesn't have, just like I explained it right here, it doesn't have, doesn't have like a doors on it, not really a roof. And the guys just look at me like, what is he talking about? He doesn't know. We all knew I was exposed, right? We all knew Jay doesn't have a clue and he's just talking. He, he doesn't fit into this conversation. You ever feel that? Conversations don't really fit in, don't belong, but you're trying really hard. You know, church is often that way. Church is often that way. We use big words, you know, ecclesiology. What is that? Just means church. We just use big words to try to feel special. (laughs) Terms like theology, we use these big words, then you're in conversations, and there can be this pressure, this temptation to think, oh man, I got to know the right words and do the right things and dress the right way. And what's the music? You know, what, 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 are, what are these music? What, how do I fit in? And we can feel like outsiders and that kind of community can be so pretentious. Jesus's kingdom and his community is to be a place where all are welcome, where you can be honest, where you can share struggles you don't need to, and, and look, this isn't just church. I mean, this is socially in our day and age today. You know, we all want to be woke. We want to have the information that others don't so we can feel a little better about ourselves and a little further along than the rest of people. And God, the gospel, it just comes in and it says, look, in the eyes of God, we're all spiritually broken beggars in need of grace. And when you have a community that really believes that, it doesn't just talk about it in a sermon on a Sunday, but it really believes that. When there's a community where Jesus is the king and he's the model, wow. Now there is opportunity to be vulnerable, opportunity to collectively help one another, and a community that is committed to justice. Not just because it might be socially popular but because it reflects the heart and character of our king. You know, you go to Buckingham Palace, you're in the presence of a king or queen, you know it. You look at the palace, you're like, that's the palace. Do people look at our church and see the presence of the king? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who is committed to the poor. And thank you for being a God who welcomes sinners like me. And God, I pray that that we would take this seriously. It's just, I'm just so tired of sometimes playing church and playing Christian. God, help us, help us to take your son seriously. Help us to do that personally and for us to do that as a community. And God, we know when we do, when we take you seriously, we we start with grace. 
And so, Lord, I pray as we leave that we wouldn't leave in guilt and shame, and, but we would leave in freedom, that you are a God who loves the broken, and that's not others, that's first us. Lord, grant us the courage by your Spirit to press into these hard issues. It's in your Son's name we pray, amen.